welcome to another episode of the Leg Up Podcast. I'm not really sure what number we're on now. Tom, what number are we on? Uh, so this will come out in series two. Um, oh, series oh. two. Series two. Oh, wow. um, two. We're having a second series. So this will be episode four in, in that series. Oh, Fantastic. Okay. So we've got Tom in the room, Michelle in the room, and we've got James, Jimmy, J-Dog. James Dean, whatever you want. Thanks for having me on. No, it's wicked, oh, mate. It's welcome. wicked. So, uh, as we all know, this is a uh, podcast where we get to talk about mental and physical health and well-being, oh, yeah. performance, mindset, behaviour, whatever you want to badge it up under. This is what we're discussing, and it sounds like uh, our current guest has had quite a journey. So, I'm not sure. Do you want to kind of tell us where you're at now, and then we'll work back a little bit? How long's the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm probably at the best place I've ever been in my life. Awesome. Um, mentally, physically, um, you know, and, and I, I put that down to really um, six years of therapy. Um, but yeah, I'd say from where I am now to where I was five years ago and then sort of previous to that, everything was just sort of a blurry mess mm-hmm. of um, confusion, destruction and, um, you know, everything in between but but yeah so um to give you a, the best overview um we've got six companies luckily now i've got a managing director we've got 48 staff uh we've got a restaurant we've got a tp business we've got a global ticket platform we've got a festival management company and we've got a property development company and all of them things combined um tend to end up in a very very messy brain scenario mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah that's going to happen it so yeah. the first thing i pick up from that um jimmy is we and you mentioned the word we so how important is the support that you've got to, how important has it been to get to where you are now i mean at this in the early days sort of um when we first put the shows on from when i was 12 i guess um and it was just me and then the first festivals that we did I was like the guy that put the fencing up I was the guy that (laughs) DJed I was the guy that was the event director and you know it was a little bit cobbled together Um, but with without the team I've got now I would be nothing yeah I think and and one of the common themes we find with people that are struggling with mental and physical health because they're obviously combined isn't they Mm. is that inability to reach out for support and ask so we do we use a couple of phrases uh, if we can talk about it we can fix it and if yeah. we can measure it we can manage it like so, it so what kind of pivotal moments pivotal changes you, you mentioned um, therapy mm. how did that come about what what basically made you seek that i i had a bit of a breakdown <clears throat> and it was six years ago it was christmas um my mum's house burnt down on Christmas Eve. Um, I was going for a rocky time in my relationship and a few other factors. I think, you know, we'd, we'd had a bad year of events and we'd lost a lot of money. Um, and in between all of that, I was building a, a big house and I'd run out of money for that. And because I'd um, run out of money, I was living in the house that I was building and there was no windows. It was still bricked up, boarded up. You know, the elements, one side of the house was all um black sheeting and he in the middle of winter (laughs) and um and i was driving uh towards tollgate and all of a sudden i saw the doctors which was it was in the old doctors opposite um the woodwell surgery now i pulled in burst out crying and i went to speak to the doctor dr hannon and i was just like right i'm i'm i need something i don't know what it is explained everything that was to do all the events and sort of my relationship. My daughter had been born not before. Right. My mum's house burning down, the debt that I'd got and living in, you know, what was effectively a squat with no running water and no power. <laughs> so that point I was like, right, if I don't change something now, um, I don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know, and I was in a, be- a dark place. So... She, they wanted to put me on some drugs and obviously because of, um, you know, being a sort of, having a superpower of ADHD, uh, which has got me to where I am now. We were in, in the same club, mate. We were <laughs> in the same club. It's a super fat power. So back in the day when they'd want to put me on sort of Retlin and all these drugs, which are basically amphetamines. So it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you have two types. You have dixlethamphetamine, which is, which is amphetamine. Then you have methylphenidate. So um, one is 
uh, essentially, amphetamine. And then the other one is a, is a composite of a seven breakdown, what's called amphetamine salts. My guy um, knows his shit, doesn't he? He certainly does. He knows his onions. So you, you have, so so both dixlethamphetamine, uh, which has many brand names, um, but like Adderall, for example, is one. Then you have Ritalin, which is other brand names like Concerta. Um, Concerta. Or, yeah, or MediConnect is a few yeah. that, that people will use. So what they work as is they are dopamine reuptake inhibitors. Yeah. So you imagine you've got a presynaptic neuron and a postsynaptic neuron. In the middle of that, you've got a gap called a synapse. Um, and when, when a neurotransmitter, which is a chemical that's released uh, by something called an action potential, and, and we won't go into that, wow. when that's released, <laughs> um, <laughs> the, the neurotransmitter dopamine gets released across that synapse, and then um, that basically connects with another neuron, et cetera, et cetera. What, um, what those drugs do is they are a dopamine reuptake inhibitor, so they stop the reuptake of dopamine. Yeah. There's more dopamine available because people with ADHD, because the reason why they can't concentrate, or one of the reasons, I have to say there's many theories, is, is because... The, the deficit in dopamine means they struggle to focus because dopamine is right. responsible mm-hmm. for attention yeah. um, and all those things. So by increasing that baseline, they become at the, the kind of normal rate where everyone else is. Yeah, I, don't, I just don't, I never really got the whole, okay, let's speed the mind up kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, I've got like 15 motorways running down and when everyone asked me when I'm I was a kid, man. there's yeah. 15 motorways running and cars speeding down each one and I have the ability to jump between lanes very quickly, a lot mm-hmm. more than I'd guess, I don't want to like, I don't like to use normal, but... You know, the average yeah. person doesn't have that many thoughts yeah. running at the same time. You're non HDA. You know, yeah. um, but I mean, I know we're going off topic slightly, but previously right. when That's we were right. sort of, a, um, you know, it was not really talked about when I was a kid. I was just labeled a naughty boy. And yeah. like, I wasn't a naughty boy. I mean, there was a lot no. of people that liked <laughs> me, but it, I just didn't conform to um, to doing what I got. I'm colorblind. I've always been colorblind. I, I, I was kind of. Um, Unless it was something that I actually liked, I didn't focus on it. I just sort of did my own yeah. thing and, and yeah. off I went. Yeah, that's literally every school report I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. if you look at that, so, and I want to bring this thing, this, this is quite interesting to me to, uh, to to put out there. So if you look at a lot of people with ADHD, comorbidities is when one or more conditions coexist together. So the two that are most common with uh, ADHD is anxiety and depression. And, and one of the reasons, if you look at that, to why that is, is you have that as you're growing up, you're labeled a naughty kid. And, and as a kid, and, and to put this out there, all kids are narcissists. And I mean that in yeah. the nice way but narcissists (laughs) take things personally because you don't know anything else everything you see is a personal attack on yourself and so when you hear that from teachers from Mm. other classmates from the parents of other classmates you're constantly internalizing that that low self-worth yeah Yeah. and so as you get older you're more self-critical because that's all you've been conditioned to do and and so that depression often comes from that um you know that that negative self-talk that we have um for people with adhd yeah and, and that you know that goes for a lot of people a lot of people have had um, bad experiences in education when they were yeah. younger and they continue to hear that voice even, even in the subconscious they're like yeah. I'm, I'm not any good at Absolutely. this i've never been any good at this yeah and i think um that takes a lot of undoing and that's something that we do we do attempt to do well on the mind sessions that we run yeah it exactly. is and i think now that um you know the word mental health now is is widely known um compared to my mum's generation for example where i still believe they've got a lot of um of work to do in that generation because their sort of mentality was sort of put up shut up yeah and get on with it yeah and then fast forward to sort of our generation um and it was only kind of just sort of coming through whereas now it's widely known and you know some people take it for granted um some people decide that it's going to be um, something that they're going to sort of drill into. And, and But I, I, I personally think that it should be accessible all the time to everyone on the mental health, not just six sessions where they you get in and they boot you out. I mean, I'm fortunate that I can afford yeah. to pay for a therapist mm. every week. Um, but I think it should be mandatory that everybody has um, a therapist. But, but yeah, sorry. We're going but to yeah, you it. might not be aware yeah. of, of uh, we're on the second week of a 10-week program and, and Tom over there, he's, he's the stats man. <laughs> so our previous six months, we have got some stats. Have you got them to hand? Give me a second. Man. I'll pull them up. So, so what you're talking about is really important. It's not, you know, if you go and have one, two, three sessions. Nowhere near it, enough. It's not, you no. need to. Nowhere near enough. Absolutely. 100% agree. And, and what our statistics are showing is the more that people get involved in the project, the more beneficial it is for them to change the way they think 100%. and their behavior as well. And the, the two things need to be it at the same time, the way that you're thinking and the things that you're doing. Yeah, and I think attaching that to things like going to the gym, even though um, I don't really do a lot when I go to the gym, but setting myself up in the morning starts with me going to the gym. Even if I just do 20 minutes, yeah. it, it sort of correlates with um, the sort of cycle of preparing yourself for the day yeah. and having a few jobs to tick off instead of giving yourself... 
a thousand jobs to do and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm never happy because I never get all my jobs done and I'm like, right, we're not doing that anymore. There's always yeah. something to do. There's yeah. always something to do. But, but, but I do think to a lot of people that say to me, oh, um, I've had a therapist, I've had six sessions and I'm sort of cured. I, without scaring anyone because I've, obviously I've had the same therapist now for just under six years, but I weren't even being honest with myself and telling her the full truth until t- like 12 months in. I was almost lying to myself and going, what, what, what the, what's the point in being here if I'm not being honest with myself? Yeah. What are you like with um, other people's kind of tone of voice and nonverbal cues? Are you quite sensitive to things like that? Yeah, I think one of the things that I learned uh, was the sort of auditory visual and kinesthetic mm-hmm. approach. But because of a lot of things that happened to me as a child, I created this barrier around me um, almost an emotionless thing. I'd, I'd class myself as quite an emotionless person, but I'm learning to be empathetic. Yeah. Like that barrier that you create around you to defend yourself as a yeah, five, that eight, 10, 12 year yeah. old. So, that so comes so with age as well. Do you want to know a little yeah. biological approach to why that is? Development of frontal lobes. I can explain <laughs> to why that is. So because of, again, it, and it comes back to that, that low self-worth and the, and the way that we internalize things is if people with ADHD as a child often lose that middle ground of emotion. Yeah. So you have the low level emotions and then you have those high responses, that rage, um, you know, that anger that, that can be you know, experience with people with ADHD. But yeah. those middle ground emotions go because what happens is, is the stress response. Um, and, and we can talk about what it's called the sympathomodulatory adrenal pathway. Ooh, I've heard that. that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, I've heard that one, yeah. It's a bit off the tongue. The, the, <laughs> the, the sound pathway. And, and, and you know, that has some thing, the, things to do with the sim- sympathetic nervous system, the release of uh, adrenaline and cortisol and, and so many other things. But essentially because of that change, you lose those middle ground of emotions, mm. which is why you can often experience going from zero to 100. I don't know if you experienced that on 100%. Loads of times. Mm. And, and it can often as well. So it takes you longer to return to baseline. So those, yes. those emotions are more increased yeah. and, and more intense. And then you actually return to baseline over a long period e- EMDR of time. gets you back to baseline in record time. That's why I can't recommend it enough. I know Prince Harry is probably the most famous advocate for, for EMDR. But I think there's also a bit of a misconception um, still. Um, I mean, if you read Gabor Mate, for example. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, the yeah. book... I've read several books on ADHD, um, but a lot of people think think it's um, you know it's passed down through DNA. Mm. But the majority of it, and this is a study by Harvard University, that in the last five years they've said that yes, there may be an element of um, genes that are passed down with ADHD, yeah, yeah. but the majority of it, and Mate suggests something like seventy five percent, is a learnt behaviour from childhood trauma. Right. So okay. ADHD um, or ADD is supercharged through um, that process. So there's a lot that's coming out right now that, I mean, like you mentioned earlier, Tom, that, you know, there's a lot of theories and I think it's whatever s- sits with you and re- resonates with you the most. Um, but since I've learned a lot about my own self and my own brain and why I am who I am because of how my brain's designed, mm-hmm. I can adjust to it a lot quicker. Yeah. And yeah. get back to baseline where, okay, the world's not that bad. Yeah. What you're discussing as well is raising your self-awareness. So yep. back to what I was talking about earlier, about immersing yourself into any form of therapy or coaching. Mm. Yeah. That, that's oh, the you thing wanted some stats. Sorry, yeah, that's what I, I wanted. We, we I've, I've come, come on, stat man. Come on, stat man. On our 90-day course, um, which is 90 days, just over 12 weeks. Um, <laughs> oh, that's a good a great What a 90-day course. <laughs> it's, so we, we, we use... Um, Four different measures. One's called the Warwickshire and Edinburgh Mental Wellbeing Scale, and that effectively looks at 14 measures. It's a psychometric inventory that's a Likert scale, so you go from severely disagree to strongly agree. Um, so using those 14-point measures, we have a 59% increase over the 90 days in that measure. Wow. Then we have something called the Wheel of Life, which is where you have eight I'm like, I'm yeah, there eight is dynamics a, yeah. of life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so such as friends, family, career. We have a 44.8% increase in the Wheel of Life. And then we have something called a Satisfaction with Life Survey, which is where you rate the satisfaction of, of your life and your well-being. We have a 46.45% increase in the Satisfaction Fantastic. with Life. So essentially we can say we're making people 50% happier than the, what they was when they joined. What a great stat. But these stats are coming from a little bit more, you know, not just four or five sessions. No. We're talking about 13 weeks. Yeah, and I think even that, you know, you need to follow on from that because Absolutely. even, you know, there's in, in my therapy, there's there's kind of two sides and, and I mean, well, there's about five different sides of me. Although you are still whole, it doesn't matter what phase you're in. It's a bit like the moon. It doesn't matter what phase the moon's in. You're still, you're still one person. Yeah. 
But I definitely feel that um, unless you have a an anchor point, and we talk about anchor points a lot in therapy, for me going to therapy every Wednesday, I know I've got to be in Nottingham at half past five every Wednesday. And for that one hour, yeah. I'm just fully in tune. There's no, there's, it's completely impartial. It's not like talking to my friends, although I do that a lot, or a family member or something. It's You can just talk about whatever you want. And even sometimes we go, and I, I don't even know what I'm talking about, but I just feel... I'm back to, yeah. right, I'm yeah. reset. And I know that if I have a bit of a wobble halfway through the week, I've only got a few more days until I, I'm back in therapy yeah. and I'm reset again. Um, since EMDR finished, that's I can do that externally now. But it's, you know, you're talking a long time to do it, really. I've, yeah. I mean, I've heard, uh, the first time I heard EMDR was uh, PTSD. Yeah. Um, a lot, that's why, used that's a how lot it was designed, really. It was yeah. the, the, the bulk of its design. Yeah. But... Um, EMDR, in terms of the process, they kind of open boxes that you probably didn't want to open. And sort of some of the times where, where when I've sat there in the early days uh, and we do it, you can do it in tapping left and right. You can do it with sort of two things pulsating, uh, whatever works for you really. But by activating the left and right sides of your brain, they're able to go into those fired and wired um, you know, brain cells, almost like a sort of imprinted memory foam mattress have a bit of a rummage around, find pinpoint emotions. I mean, it, I mean, it's not hypnotherapy, but it felt a bit like hypnotherapy because all of a sudden, one of the key memories that I was like, oh shit, this is a memory. And then all of a sudden sort of tears start yeah, rolling Yeah, so they're looking for a trigger point, basically, uh, emotional trigger you know, point. And I'm like, oof. And then we kind of get back out of it. And then from from that, finding that, and then she, she asks whereabouts you feel, and you can feel it normally in your gut. And it's like, I mean, I'm feeling it a bit now. But then going from there, so we can't, okay, that's that feeling. And then we do a specific set of process taps that are a bit faster, so it processes. And then you anchor onto a new point. So for me, I like skiing because the snow and the sort of closeness of snow in the mountains and the freedom makes you feel comforted and, you know, like a comfort blanket. Flying around in a helicopter in the sky, you know, apart from just trying to stay alive. It's okay when you're not getting shot at. <laughs> yeah, oh God, yeah, yeah, you guys got different stuff on me. but And then also sort of sat on the back of the boat with the water. Because before right. we had therapy, I used to sit next to the bath, run it, let it out, run it, let it out. Right. And that was like, oh, right, okay. Like, this is something that's working for me. It's mm-hmm. weird you say that. I mean, I, I went through a really dark patch uh, post-Marines. Yeah, and I I bathed a lot. Yeah, a hell of a lot. I'd you know if I felt rough, if I had a particularly bad day, I'd get in the bath and I'd run it. I think and it's I'd the core, the core, the core elements. Like I love fire. I love water. Everyone loves fire. You know, I don't <laughs> I don't really love wind. You know, but, but yeah. like you know, like the core sort of elements. Yeah, and there's got to be something related with sort of mental health and things like that. You know, yeah, totally. I think it goes well, like, way I, I, back into being a human being, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Caveman, caveman stuff. Yeah. yeah, caveman TV, best channel ever. <laughs> I don't yeah. not come across that. But. In, in uh, dialectile behavioral therapy, we teach people techniques to remove themselves out of the bodily sensations they're feeling, and then learn to program them to then step into new sensations. So yeah, you know, and, and it's something as simple as replacing anger with getting in a bath. Yeah, because you literally change the whole body's yeah, yeah, response. Yeah. What? What? Um, sorry, Tom. One another good way of of um, practicing that is using two separate chairs. So I jump into this chair and I ask my other self and yeah, I yeah, move we, we use that, that chair. Yeah. Oh, okay. And sort of and then you're you're actually sort of arguing with yourself, you know, but you get to understand it and it's almost by saying, right, that's over there. So this is actually coming out of my brain now. I'm putting this side of me, whether it's a guilt side of me or like I've even got discipline and regret tattooed on my hands because they're the two biggest yeah. pains in my life. Yeah. Right. And anyone that says they don't regret anything, I'm not mm. so sure about that. Um, I even got some tat- uh, a massive tattoo of balancing scales on my back because everything in my life now is all about balance. Absolutely. You know. Yeah. And where are you with that currently, with work-life balance? How do you manage my that? My work-life balance now is fantastic. And Good. I think, apart from the day-to-day stresses, but, you know, Elon Musk said something not long ago that I thought really resonated with me. He said, you know, every single day he gets up and there's problems. I mean, when you're on yeah. that level, or I mean, it doesn't matter if you're in a little coffee shop with three staff or a thousand staff or anything, no. but everybody in business and in life can wake up in the morning with problems. So, and for me, with all the staff and all the companies, there's always going to be a problem. But if you yeah. let yourself constantly wake up with a problem, you've got to wake up and, and look to things that inspire, things that get your adrenaline running and things that make you happy. Because what's the point in 
in being on you know planet earth if i'm lucky i've got 30 or 40 years left hopefully mm. you know i've got 30 summers 30 winters 30 christmases you know you've got to enjoy now yeah. and be right now instead of because most people live in the past and the future absolutely yeah. and yeah, so the biggest I, challenge. I think the key thing for me uh, and a few of the the seminars that i've been to to talk about men, mental health is re- using the trigger points to remind yourself every day of how lucky you are and remind yourself because it's very easy until something like you see on TV these poor kids getting killed in uh, in the Gaza Strip you know and I can't even watch it I'm turning it off mm, yeah. but until something like happens that's only when the empath- empathetic side of you comes out but if you remind yourself every single day okay right let's look at it so right there's a problem over there right we'll do X, Y and Z that sort unless there is something wrong with you or a close member of your family that is not fixable like cancer or something everything else is cool man yeah, we're talking yeah. about controlling the controllables. Yeah. And we're exactly. talking about practicing gratitude. Oh, big and, and, and when you That's step, a big one. 100%. Big one. I, when we, you, we mention that all the time. Yeah. When you step the present, they, they say in the, the Eastern philosophy, so if you look at Hinduism, they'll call it Sanchitananda, which is when you step into the... When you step into, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just say that again for us, Tom. Uh, Sanchitananda. So when you yeah. learn to live in, wow. in the present, um, Sanchitananda means pure consciousness bliss. Like That's the state that they describe Love it that. when you're in, in that present state. So that also could be described like Winnie the Pooh, yeah? The uncarved block. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, I've Benjamin read the book. Hoff- um, Benjamin Hoffman, is it? Yeah. You, oh, uh, the, the Tao of Pooh. So Taoism. And the, and the day the of Piglet. Yeah, so yeah. Is that, is that from him? Hindu like what's the uh, Sanskrit yeah the, yeah the origins yeah yeah so that, that's Sanskrit I, I like um, a bit of the Eastern world if you're going to read anything read something called the Bhagavad Gita so it's the uh, longest poem in the world it's in the Upanishads in the, in the Vedas and it's a story about the battle of Arjun and there's this guy called Krishna and, and he's a reincarnation of Vishnu where did and, you get Tom from and, and, <laughs> he just turned up and you know like he's been stalking you that's what he did to me wow yeah I think I was going to learn so much today and that's about um living in the present and devotion and bahaki yoga which is a, a type of yoga uh, which is more about devotional yoga to the divine and uh, it, it's very good i couldn't go over it i think i think the quickly. key point of this is finding whatever works for you um in order to ensure that you remind yourself how lucky you are and you know the whole yeah, gratitude totally. piece definitely and, stuff, and, yeah. and i think the hard work is working on yourself basically you've raised your level of self-awareness yeah, it's so hard to do because you've got to face the demons, mm-hmm. you've got to face the mm-hmm. trigger points. Yeah, you've got to be honest with yourself to get through. Mm. This is what we deal with with a lot of people yeah. who come on the projects. It's like we have this ethos. I created an ethos right at the very start. It was for blokes. We've got to be shit, <gasps> supportive. <laughs> so it's <clears throat> supportive, honest, have integrity, and take positive action. And that ethos is we've that has stuck because it does, doesn't it? Brilliant. Like, and that, that's the hardest bit, I think, doing the work on yourself, which is what you're discussing. And I, again, 100%. anybody who's faced the demons and been through and, and knows that that's, it doesn't, you don't fix it, then it's done. Mm-mm. It's work in progress, Always. continual work in progress. I think the, the sad part is I speak to a lot of men in particular, but also women, where they're in that sort of cycle. They can't really see the end. And because the way that you've been conditioned, you know, you've got to grow up, you've got to go to school and you've got to go to uni and then you've got to get a four bed house and a Mondeo and have kids <laughs> and get married. <laughs> Who says? <laughs> but they're so suck, like stuck yeah. in that cycle of, you know, paying the day to day that they, they haven't got the time to work on themselves, you know, and then especially if you had like mums with kids in and stuff, that's a full time job in itself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very difficult and I'm very lucky because I have the freedom now. I kind of condensed 60 years worth of life into the first sort of 20 years of my adult life <laughs> and th- through doing that um i mean i wouldn't recommend it i nearly killed myself but through doing that i definitely feel like now i have got time to be able to come and speak to you guys in the middle of the week yeah. i have got time to go to therapy i have the freedom and that's the only thing really money brings it, it brings you f- yeah. f- freedom to time. have choice and choice yeah and time time, time and everything choices. else your cars and everything like that that's, that's all b- mm. bullshit you know what i mean yeah. mm-hmm. freedom's what um what it brings but but yeah I, I want to go back to the beginning. I want to f- figure out and, and know where did it come from, though? Like, how did you go from uh, the first festival you did? Well, let's, let's go back to that to begin with. Then. How did you come up with, with starting a festival? Well, I can't, it kind of goes back a bit further than that. So because we, we, my dad was the manager of a, a rock band that went around the world. Um, and we lived in a, a nice little council house in Salisbury Drive in Swaddling Coat. 
But I would describe it now as um, extreme poverty. So we lived we lived in extreme poverty. You know, we you know we'd go to quick save. You'd have a couple of tins of beans and a, and a loaf of bread. You yeah. know, apart from that, that you, there'd be nothing to eat. So you'd be beg, steal, and borrowing. And I completely get it with people using food banks now, especially with how much things cost. But so rewinding back to then um and there's a lot of things embedded in me you know that learned experiences from not having anything that yeah. makes me want to not go back to where i was yeah because i was going to pick up on that and, and you you said how did you say how potentially well i would have said why so i'm looking at motivation that that's the important thing interesting yeah. thing for me is what was what was the force behind yeah. You a, 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 lot, a lot of people ask and it's it's all to do with sort of they're called towards drivers and moving away from yeah, drivers yep. yeah mine would never you know i never set out to you know have everything i have what i did was i wanted to push away from where i was and i never want to be there one of the things in therapy one of the first thing i said uh, was like one of the biggest worries i have is losing everything going bankrupt and going back into a council house. Not that it was massively bad. I mean, my mum my had sort of three jobs. My mum's deaf. We had three kids. We had the child that my dad brought to my mum that wasn't even my mum's child. And it was very, you know, there's a lot of bad things. However, the whole, that whole um, setup is really adding the ADHD, why I've got everything I've got and why I sort of went down the path of nothing is good enough. Every, like, I never praise myself. I always want more. Mm-hmm. Now I've chilled out a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and I've yeah, gone it past... Sounds, it sounds like that motivation took you into a dark place. Yes, because, exactly. Because you were obviously chasing something you probably didn't quite understand what you, oh, what God, you were yeah. trying to achieve. Yeah. But it, now it sounds like you've come to a place where... You can ease off the gas. Yes, 100%. Delegate. Yeah, delegate. Trust other people. Yeah. Because I think... That's a big one. Massive. Yeah, massive. That's a big one. Big one. Yeah, being able and, to and trust. And this is why I brought yeah. it up. Because I think there's a point in people's lives, especially when you have... Um, you go through a rough time. It's always linked to people. So you've been let down. Yeah. And everybody gets let down. Yeah. But then, whereabouts in your life do you learn to love and trust again? And that, for me... That's the pivot point of mental health, the love and belonging. Yeah. That's I, the pivot I, point. I'm not fully through that cycle yet. Mm. Like I would say if the, the, the castle that I built around me um, was like figures wise, I would say I've still got um, 50% of the way to go. Right. So, but the first 50% was great. You know, losing that first 50% and getting to the point where you are, you're fully open, you know, you're vulnerable. If, if you want to say, um, I've still got that bit to do. But in terms of the work, the elements that gave me a lot of stress, anxiety, I don't like the word depression, but everything around that area, yeah. um, that a lot of that's gone now because of having a team. And that's why I mentioned how important my team are. But also because I know how my brain works, I'm able to dissect it a lot easier. But I've only learned that through having therapy for many years. Yeah. Right. And, and obviously when you're working with a therapist, they're unlocking... Oh, loads. More information loads. for you yeah. to learn about who you are. And that, that for me, that, that is the hard work. It is. Finding and out who you are. Yeah. Ooh, Especially yeah. when you throw in, and it's like a bit like a tree, you know, the, the, there's, the, there's the main trunk, but then there's loads of branches. <clears throat> and then there's like, you've probably heard of these, um, you know, analogies before, but, you know, there's the part of the ADHD, then you've got all of the things with my dad sort of being a heroin addict and touring the world and sort of poverty and my mum being deaf and... There's little things with, with my mum being deaf, you know, when you ask for your mum and she doesn't respond, even though when she's a fantastic lip reader. I mean, she was one of the first people, second person, I think, in the UK to be sponsored by um, Queen's Medical Centre and Apple and they cut her skull open, put a copper in. Oh, wow, yeah, no yeah, I've way. heard of those. And then wow. clipped her. So she's walking around now with a phone in her pocket, just talking to someone. I'm oh like, my whoa, gosh. brilliant. You know, Amazing. but when she... Well, my uncle's got one of those and, and it's crazy, isn't it? it is like, he, he, couldn't, he couldn't hear anything. Then he got one... And that just changed his whole world. Yeah, like, yeah. He, it's like he'd been born again. The only thing is now, if wow. I'm talking like all my life, I've talked to my little sister and she's like, I heard that, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Yeah. So let's let's bring it back just a little bit again. Yeah, sorry, so, mate. Well, no, no, it's okay. <laughs> First festival, where, where did it come from? So, um, when I, when the Emporium, and, and again, because of my ADHD, I'm all over the place. When, um, 
the Emporium sort of was coming to an end in its first instance. So the, the, the previous owners wanted to sort of um, knock it on the head. I was like, right, now I've got to work out what to do. Um, and so I knocked on the door of a very nice chap called Robin Nielsen at Catton Park. And I was quite young still. And I was like, I want to put a festival on. And he was like, uh, well, well, James, you've, uh, you've got to have some qualifications. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, off I go. So I rang, bearing in mind I left school when I was 14. I didn't do any GCSEs. For me, school was just a waste of time. And I had to sort of, you know, find my own path. Um, but I had to, to get into Loughborough University, you have to have the, like, GCSEs and mm. stuff like that, UCAS points. And I was like, shit, yeah. I've... I've got one of them. So the only place I could find uh, was a private tuition company in London, um, Turbo Event Management, and they were doing a diploma. So to get into Loughborough University, I had to drive each week from Colville <clears throat> down to London for a year to do a diploma in event management to have enough points, points. to get into Loughborough University to do a festival management and hospitality degree. Got yeah, and um, and then pretty focused then. Oh, and on top of all of that. Um, then I didn't have a car for a while, so I had to get the bus from Swaddlingcote to Colville, from Colville to Loughborough and back every day with loads of books. Yeah. Bearing in mind all my mates were still off the reds, going out every weekend. And I'm like, mm. what am I doing this for? But I got the piece of paper that said you are qualified. I went back to his house. I knocked on the door and I was like, there you Here go. I am. Like, what year is this? Is this 2012? It was 2011. 2011. And he was like, right then, James, we're going to have to give you a go. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> I don't think it doesn't sound like that. <laughs> no, no, but keep keep that up. Yeah, yeah. yeah that. I like yeah, it. Robin, I like yeah, it. Robin. But I mean, yeah. Robin. Every year, I give him a bottle of whiskey for his birthday in, in June, and he's he's uh, him and his son Ollie from Catton Park. Yeah. We're um, we've been there the longest. I have, we put the most of my events on there. But but anyway, yeah. <clears throat> and during the actual term at Loughborough University, we studied these things called oxygen mintel reports, which are government data on trends and predictions oh, and stuff. Right, okay. And I noticed. In, the, in this data that cider, instead of it being like a, um, a, and the same with gin, a bit of a depressive drink that you drank on a park bench, you know, white lightning and et cetera. <laughs> Ooh, um, <clears throat> mad dog. Yeah, MD 2020. 2020. You know, we saw loads of that at the festival now, but it's, got, it's come back round in fashion. Yeah, of course it is. Um, yeah. The cider was starting to come up uh, in terms of uh, flavours and sort uh, of, you know, yeah. it's always been around in sort of west the West Country and sort of Somerset and stuff, but... And then a friend of mine was a butcher and we were just laughing and he, we were talking about, you know, sausages. You can put anything in a sausage. You can put a Christmas dinner in a sausage yeah. if you want. Anything can be blitzed up. So I was like, okay, sausage inside a festival. I'd heard it in a pub garden somewhere many years before. And I was like, let's give it a go. Previous to that, we didn't do the Sosh Insider Festival. We did a thing called the Ecstatic Summer Festival. So I took what I'd learned at the Emporium. So before Sosh Insider started, took what I'd learned at the Emporium and created um, a festival at Catton Park with all of the DJs from the Emporium, so like Judge Jules oh, and everything else. Wow. So we started off um, with sort of dance music. And even though I'm still a DJ and still very lucky to travel around playing music. Just um, came back from Ibiza, right? Just came back from Ibiza five weeks. Best time ever. 20th year. This Can month. I just say you're glowing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you know, definitely not Tom being I always tell everyone I'm Italian if you look at me. Well, yeah. you know, yesterday, actually, it's funny we mentioned that because yesterday we was on this course and, and we mentioned that you was coming in and there was all these uh, women that attend the Back to the 80s yep. and they was all like, oh, Jimmy Dean. So, uh, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, so we put the, you know, I told everyone I was going to start a Sosh Insider Festival and everyone was like, Wow. He's definitely lost the plot. You know, he's <laughs> he's lost the plot. And next year, fifteen thousand people per day, forty-five thousand people over the weekend, tenth year anniversary. So, Ooh. wasn't that much of a crazy idea? But this is where the the caveat really comes in. I think a lot of people that don't have, or a lot of people that are not fortunate enough to have ADHD or ADD, wouldn't have that hyper focus. So. In its Absolutely. conception, you know, there was a lot of massive bumps in the road. Mm -hmm. and 100%. I'm going to pick you up on this as well. Like, talk to me about failing. Because there's I, no way I failed got to where you've got. more times yeah. than there's windows in this building. <laughs> and I there's fail. quite a few. Yeah. I fail, every, not every day, not anymore, but I fail a lot, you know. And I, I, I don't know another man or woman um, on this planet that, that has been successful that can say they've not failed. Yeah. I can only succeed if I failed. I 100% yeah, agree you know, with that. Totally and and agree. that can be applied to anything, like my mental health, you know, where we've been and where we, where we are now. 
um, like the events, like the properties we develop. Um, you know, being a helicopter pilot, that was for absolutely no reason apart from saying to myself, <laughs> sorry, sorry, I want to be a pilot. Sorry, yeah, I want to be yeah, called that, captain. That, that sentence in <laughs> itself, being a helicopter pilot, I, I've never known that thrown into a sentence. I, I just had to pull that out. Well, you've clearly not been around the right yeah. people there, Thomas. <laughs> you see, Tom, I have heard that before because yeah, I've helped people revise for their helicopter pilot licenses. Wow. Yeah, whilst on easy. the Whilst on the physio couch. Wow. Yeah, so whilst I'm massaging, I'm having to help yeah, them... Yeah. Uh, Inertia of the blades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. From from 2012 then to now, so that's what eleven years. Yep. What do you say your biggest lesson is? My biggest lesson is that in terms of like business, or is that in terms of self development? Life. Life. My my biggest. Oh God. Oh, big this question. Is, yeah. This is this is a very um, big thing really. For so, I would say first and foremost is do not sweat the small stuff. <laughs> A lot of my mind used to get occupied yeah. by the shit that you can't control. That's absolute 99% of the stuff that I worried about. Never, you okay, Tom? Sorry, I'm just having a coffee. My man needs some CPR over here. <laughs> would you, the, would the you medic, like me to jump in? <laughs> Tom, can you go into the corner and choke quietly? Please? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I'm ruining done. the podcast. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. so sorry for that. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, yeah, don't, don't sweat the small stuff. I think... Um, so much of our lives now, especially younger people and older people, I guess, mm-hmm. so much of our lives is consumed by the stuff that never happens. Yeah, You worry about stuff that never happens. Absolutely. And so if I can't affect the outcome, um, it's not straight into my immediate path of where I'm going. Get it out of your brain as quick as it can. So I'd say for me personally, um, and, and it's easy to quantify by saying don't sweat the small stuff, you know, don't worry about stuff that's not happened because you're going into the past and the future again. You're forgetting to live for today and you, the days are passing by. The next, you know, 10 years have gone and you've put yourself in a, a sort of cycle of deprivation and sadness for no reason. Yeah. So, so what you have done is, is you have embodied mindfulness. I, I'm fully, fully complete. Apart from the yoga part, my ADHD just does not agree with that. <laughs> that's just like, you know, everything else, James, you can crack on with, but that's non-negotiable, you know, the down with dog and all that. Have job. you tried uh, like breathing exercises? Breathing exercises we do all the time in therapy um, and meditation in itself, you know, I do quite a bit. I mean, EMDR is kind of meditation and yeah. listening to water, listening to all the apps. I mean, in the evening, I'll play, Alexa will play the sound of running water. Water in a tin roof, actually, is the one that I tend to use oh, okay. a lot, you know, and it, and it cuts off, but... Um, but yeah, sorry if I digressed. So that's one. That's Can I jump in with three things we said? Three things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go for another. Let's go for another. Go on, Michelle. Um, I just wanted to talk about the, the that fear of failure because you mentioned about that actually failing at stuff meant that you were more successful. And a lot of people struggle with their yeah. mental health <clears throat> because of that fear of failure. And you know what? Un- unequivocally failing is never anywhere near as bad as you think it is going to be absolutely it puts so many people off from from taking those big steps into self-improvement and self-development because they're all worried about what happens if i fail what happens if i fail and i always say to people when they ask me that exact question is right let's zoom straight into the worst worst case scenario and go back from there you know so Mm -hmm. for me Mm -hmm. because um when we ever made any money, I was like, right, instead of just using that and going buying this and buying that, I'd buy a little mid-terraced house from some of the money that we've made from the shows and stuff. I'd, I'd renovate it. I'd stick a tenant in there and say, right, if all else fails and I'm fucked up, there's 30 grand in that house yeah. if I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I've started to build up these backstops around me. And like, so now, I, it's, I mean, I could fail catastrophically, but for me, I've put these backstops in where I where yeah. I can't fail. And yeah. I always say to, when I've been into schools, I the kids ask me, they ask me, and I think it was on one of your questions, Tom, you know, what would you say to the, the new generation yeah. or the younger yeah. generation? And for me, um, I wouldn't probably go to university anymore. I'd find a tradesman straight away, electrician, a plumber, um, I don't know, someone that works in sort of mental health and learn from another person one-on-one and then get these skills and get the money in the bank, get the deposit, get your sort of building blocks around your house. That's, you know, they don't teach you how to pay your taxes at uni or school. <laughs> and it, who's ever left school going, right, I'm going to get Pythagoras out. Does anyone, you know, let's go through Pythagoras. Is it Pythagoras? <laughs> I, I, I've had to come back to learning some maths now to do statistics. But yeah, as you say, like, unless it's for a, 
a very specific role. Like you have to go to uni to be a doctor. Um, yeah, and stuff like that. I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get yeah. that. So I have friends who, like you say, who have got into a trade now that have got two houses behind them at the age of 26 yeah. because they got into that trade straight away. Yeah. And yeah. um, it, it seems that everyone, every, everywhere you go, people say to me two things. One, get into property and two, move to Portugal. Yeah. Well, um, I, th- I think... Portugal? That, really? Yeah. Well, which one do you do first, though? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Portugal so, property. On, on, the, on the uni thing, so I didn't go to university till I was 44. Well done. And I think, to be fair, it was right. It was the right time for me to go and do what I needed to do. Yeah. yeah. I, was, I, I literally went Not and consolidated 18. what I'd already learned. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a very different experience for me being sat in amongst you know young people, people that were 20 years younger yeah, than yeah. that was a problem for me as yeah. well yeah. but i think it's all it all depends on what you know your learnt experiences are and the imprints that's been firing wide into you so for me mine was security my dad came and went you know when he turned into a heroin addict he'd come and take all the pictures out take the knives and forks out of the tray and would literally have nothing because he'd sell it for heroin so stability for me that was, was your driver that was me yeah, you know i needed driver. something that was stable i didn't trust anyone i didn't know if someone would bring a birthday present and then 10 days later take it and sell it mm-hmm. so these little bits that were firing wide into me my backstop was right i need to start building up these castles around me yeah get you get, get, get when your did you have that plan you know when did you must have been i brought my first by house somebody. on my 18th birthday wow there was a lady called suzanne gardner from lloyd's tsb i walked into there when i was 17 bearing in mind um I left school, so I had I worked at the Emporium during the day, stocking all the bars up for the weekend. And then I went and volunteered for Our Price Records until they paid our me. Price remember Our Price? Yeah, you our probably Price remember. Records no, no. <clears throat> and then in between all of that, I, I worked at a place called Icon Records. So I had sort of three jobs. And the money was coming in, you know. In the end, the Emporium were like, look, you know, even though he's only 15 now, he's got to, you've got to pay him 25 quid a night. Yeah. And I got to the point by the time I was sort of 17, 18, where I'd got about five or six grand. And in them days, you could walk to the bank, mm. yeah. speak to the bank manager and oh. say, right, okay, I want a mortgage. No problem, mate. Here's your five grand deposit. Here's yeah. and, and one of the, the stories that I love telling people is, when I used to finish work at the Emporium, I'd be coming home at six o'clock and the next door neighbour um, had a little mid-terraced house and um, I used to get her a news of the world. And then one day she turned around and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm moving into a home. I'm selling my house. 37,000 quid. It was mental. Get yeah. in. 37 grand. And then, and then from that point, I researched property development. And every year for the last 20 years, I've renovated a house or been renovating a house all the time. Yeah. But I'm digressed again. Sorry, Tom. What was That's the question? All right. <laughs> I, I, I like these. Do you like the these? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I did ask what would be your three tips. Yeah, yeah. sorry. But so, you know, we can come back to that if you want. Yeah. Well, there's probably one more somewhere. But it sounds to me like you've you've started to build in routines in your life now. Definitely. So have a plan and stick to it. Yeah. Even if it fails. Even if it fails. But I think over over everything, um, having the time to sit down with someone and even if you don't even know what you're going to talk about and even if it feels uncomfortable stick at it and at least give it six months where you're speaking to the the same therapist and, and for me i didn't find the perfect therapist at the start i, I scattered around a little bit right, yeah, and then i found time. the one that i resonated with the most mm-hmm. um but if it's one thing for me to tell anybody else it's definitely even if you think you're always fine, mm-hmm. you know, this has got to be a new part of society now, therapy mm-hmm. and people, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, I think it is. And like what we are achieving as coaches is we're not, you know, we're not therapists, but we are... Yeah, I'd say you are in a way. Get, well, yeah, I guess you could say that. We're giving people an opportunity to identify the areas that they need to develop as you're individuals. Opening the door. We're supporting them. You're, opening the, yeah. you're, you're yeah. the first port of call for yeah. people opening the door and resonating through because it's that first step you know it doesn't need to be where you're pulling over into a doctor's crying your eyes out and all this most people let it get to that point yeah but i think if you can check in with yourself and sort of say right okay am am i okay and i do that every day i ask myself right how are you doing today jim you know are you all good yeah well this is concerning me right let's address that yeah get that out of the way and then right what's what's you know what's up now and see back in the day People would say that you were mental if you did oh, that. Oh God! They, that's <laughs> but it's an absolutely a really human <laughs> thing to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I, I, um, I mentioned it last night. So we had a, we had a session last night, um, a, a coaching session last night, a group thing, and I mentioned that I, I can't remember where I heard it, but a healthy person has a good balance of self belief and self doubt, and I think what we are doing is we're helping people install that self belief. You've got to have a level of doubt. I think I think it comes back to the tattoo on my back about balance. Yeah. 
And it's, it's like every once I got this balance scenario, and it's a bit like when in the early days of therapy, I'd have like the scales that were one-sided. And yeah. so my therapist would be like, right, why is the, the sadness part of this scale down? And I say, well, I'm worried about people dying at my festivals. You know, it's on my head. When I was a festival director, and you get got yourself 10, a people good medical there. provider. Have <laughs> <laughs> you got a good medical <laughs> provider? Did you know, Tom say that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is an advert. Um, you know, worrying about people dying because you know litigation and sort of mm-hmm. you know if it's if if they die and it's because of something that I've done. Yeah. Or going bankrupt, going back into a council house, um, and living back in that poverty way with food and drinks and stuff. And then I was like, well, actually, has anyone died at the festivals? No. Okay, the, the scale's coming back. You know, and if you do, you know, make a drastic um, failure on something, you've got a few backstops here now. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I have. Okay, but the scales are restored, you know. Mm. So the balancing part, I think, is um, the main part to take from that. Yeah. I think we spoke about earlier, um, and we said about coaches and stuff like that. Um, I consider it as gurus, actually, Kev. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. That doesn't surprise I me, Tom. For the record, <laughs> not at any point have I considered myself a no, guru. No, I, 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 I didn't, <laughs> you I have got the incense sticks burning. <laughs> Let this be said. No, Tom, you can way. be a no, no, guru. What I meant is, the only reason why I say that is, is because a, a guru, in um, again, going to the East, they say the guru is the door to oneself. And, oh, like and, what, that, and what we're doing is yeah, we're opening the door yeah. to, to let people see themselves. Um, and, and a good guru or a good teacher will, will allow someone to stand there vulnerable and naked, you know, metaphorically, in themselves and, and look at themselves and go, wow, I love th- that. this is me. I didn't know that. And I'm now a guru. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm going all out. You're I'm taking a guru. A guru, yeah. a guru or no, a I'm teacher. Taking, a, t- a teacher yeah. is another one that, that I like to use. Like, I, I, all my friends are teachers because I learn something from each of them. And even if that's something that I don't want to be, like, I look at them and I think, well, you're a knob. And they've still taught me something <laughs> yeah. of, of how not to do it. And it, it's really funny because in the East, you can walk out onto the street um, and you can go, oh, I, I'm God. I've realized it. And people will go, wow, you know, good. He's good. arrived. Yeah, 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 well you're done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then in the West, if you were to walk out into Culver and start shouting, oh, I'm God, everyone would be like, <laughs> be I've yeah, seen yeah. that a lot though. I've got to be honest. Especially when the Emporium was in full flow. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Six o'clock on <laughs> yeah. Sunday morning. Yeah. <laughs> Fairy booted. There's a, there's a lot God, of gods everywhere. Then, yeah. You know. yeah. It's that balance thing. I think that's... We, balance we, is the key to life. We talk a lot yeah. about what, what, what people see as being successful in life and one of the key things that that Kev's mentioned in one of the sessions that hit with me was about being successful in life is about finding peace and being at peace with your life wow that is my my and that's that's finding balance you find peace when you've got everything balanced I've worked with quite a lot of clients and they'll say I want to be successful I'm like define success what does success mean to you and they'll I want to be a millionaire by X amount of years yeah. blah 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 I mean, for I, me it's literally I, I would, peace of mind I would say I would say that is 95% of every sort of young teenager's ideal yeah. scenario of being a millionaire by the time they're X, Y and Z but yeah. going through that and getting to it it's just you know getting to that point of that money there is no change at all nothing comes down and goes oh that, you know, and I think now the definition of being rich is me being having the time to go and pick my daughter up from school, mm-hmm. having the time during the week, you know, they're off school now, you yeah. know, all of them things I would. And because of where I've been and where I've come from and, and sort of what I've got now, I I'm, I can easily pivot straight back, you know, in, into that life. Yeah. And and be sort of a, an ambivert, yeah. which is an introvert, and an extrovert. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I, I think. You know, and and I whether or not it sounds like I'm chatting shit, who knows? But always, um, I I could, I I do think this. So you know, hear me out. I think that if I lost everything right now, um, I would as feel as rich as I would do if I had everything. You talking about mm, financially? Genuine? No, in, in any state. If I lost everything, I think yeah. I'm at a good level in myself where where I I reckon I think I'm the richest man alive, the luckiest yeah. man alive. And, and whether it's down to luck or not, that's a different conversation. Because I have a beautiful fiance, I have two dogs. I'm in love and I'm happy. Yes. But you just what, said what if you lost yeah, everything. Yeah, and if I, if I lost that, I'd still the, feel like that. But if I gained... The and the physical... Yeah, yeah, and if I gained loads of financial gain, I'd still feel that. I think yeah. when, when you're born, the only thing you have when you're born is love. When you die, the only thing you have when you die is love. You, everything Ooh. in between is actually 
irrelevant. Alan Watts says that we're filling in the blanks between hospital ward and crematorium. That's yeah. all we're doing. Yeah. Anything that you do it. doesn't matter. It doesn't. What, life's the snotty bit between it, 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 getting it born and dying? Is that what you're saying? Well, it, it could be. And, and I like to see it as, as when I am lost, I serve you. And what I mean by you um, is I'm not talking about God being the man in the sky. I think God is a, a higher state of consciousness, what they would call nirvana or enlightenment. Yeah. And when I am lost, I serve you. I'm serving that purpose. And, and when I am found, I am with you. And I, and I sit with you and I resonate next to you and I go yeah I'm cool with this but sometimes I get lost so I have to serve you again. I think a lot of time when you're on your own I've like I like my own company um, but at the same time it's again the balancing thing if I spend too much time alone then I start having a bit of a wobble Right, but if okay. I spend yep. too much time with people, then I start having a bit of a wobble. Yeah. There's a balance, balance again. You've, balance, I think you've got balance. to spend time alone to find who, out who you are. People find that quite uncomfortable as well. Yeah. I know a lot of people that are not good yeah. with their own company. Yeah. And then if you throw COVID into the mix, Jesus, you've got a whole world yeah. in the pain. Well, one of my questions was, how did COVID affect you? And Kev picked it out and he was like, what is that? <laughs> why are you asking this? Why do you this? want to ask that? And, and, and yeah. you've mentioned you it, so I'll ask it now. How, how did COVID affect you? Um... Well, actually, COVID was really good for me. Um, not financially, Jesus Christ. Mm. It was, you know, that we're still paying. Yeah. The, we're still, you know, reeling the consequences now. But when it all kicked off um, and they were like, you know, I remember it. I remember the day. I remember the smell. I remember it was raining. Like, I think this is a weird thing that with ADHD, you can sort of zoom into those all, you know, empathy, you know, the visual auditory and kinesthetic. Yeah. But you must stay at home. I was like, <laughs> shit. 22nd of March, 2020. Because I guess you've got all your festivals planned well, in for that year. I just brought a building to turn into a restaurant three days before. Oh, oh, wow. oh is this Ice and Slice? Yeah, this Give is a Ice and Slice. But hey, uh, cheers, mate. This is an advert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, they... Hiring at the moment, actually, for anyone listening. You know, <laughs> <laughs> they, are, are you actually hiring? We are, mate. Yeah, we need a sous chef. We need an experienced mixologist and some front of our stuff. So thanks there for that. There you go. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, they, you know, you must stay at home and... and, and um, the consequences for me personally and my mental health were like, right, I'm halfway through building a, a house, quite a big one, so I could spend a bit more time there and I like renovating, so that wasn't too bad. Obviously, the whole plan with the restaurant had gone out the window. It was a derelict building, but because of my love for renovating things and turning things back into what they were, it's graded building and it was like, you know, Beautiful. I love all that. So no, the that's... only converted bottle kiln restaurant in the world. Um, but anyway, Seriously. so the time that we had... Um, which is, I think, the, the thing that you mentioned, in Tom, in terms of how did COVID affect me personally. I liked that breathing space because one thing that I've had to learn in the last sort of 12 months, technically as a semi-retired guy, like when, when I'm not, it's a weekday, and if I'm not at work and it's a weekday, I feel guilty. You should mm, be at work. You should working be working class guilt yeah. coming out here. You know what I mean? Big you time. should be working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get that So I'm totally. like, you know, how do I get around this you know, not feeling guilty if it's a weekday and not a work thing. Whereas COVID, everyone's off. Yeah. So I'm like, Jesus, it's actually mm. a holiday. My brain can calm down. Well, not yeah. everyone was off. Well, not was everyone was off. Yeah. Which brings me into the second part of COVID. Yeah. My daughter's mum, who who has a much more important job than me, she works at the kite team at Derby Royal, giving very poorly right. babies, you know, injections and yeah. stuff. And that's a job, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. a bit like being in the army or the Marines or something. Um, and... They were like, you know, we want to set this uh, COVID site up. Uh, oh, like, the bus park. This was you, right? This was me. Ah. Yeah, talk about that. Yeah, this is all coming together now. So they said, you know, you own, because we own all our own equipment. So we own all our toilets, we own all our fencing, we own all our marquees. Yeah. And so there was like, can you come for a meeting? So we went for a meeting and we had the Army Red Command there, a really funny guy called Popeye, classic sort of Army guy. And I would have thought he'd been a sailor with the name. Like <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, but they um, we had sort of the Red Command team, and then we had the NHS team, yeah. and they were like, "Right, you guys are going to be the first in the entire UK to set up this makeshift COVID drive-through." So we went down and met them, and I sort of sketched out on our um, on our thing that we designed site maps for for festivals how we're gonna yeah. like how yeah. this is gonna operate, and you've got to have like a triage, and they've got to be suited in hazmat suits, and then they're gonna have to have the injection. And yeah. I was like, shit. But I mean, at the time, it was a bit. Everyone was still a bit like, oh, I'll give it six weeks, and we'll be back to normal. Mm. You know, how bad can it be? And so anyway, it was one of the days that we were setting the site up in Swad Bus Park. We worked out the flow rate, how many jabs we can give per hour, et cetera, et cetera. Bear in mind, they didn't even have a jab then. No. They just knew that at some point... Something was coming. Something was going to happen. Yeah. And um, 
the scary part, I think, we sat down, it was knackered. We set all this stuff up with the army and some of my team. We did get a lot of local companies help us, by the way. There's quite a few sumo containers and um, a lot of the shops and restaurants were bringing food for all of the oh, army and our right. team. Um, but we sat down, it was Popeye and the, uh, from the Red Command Army and he sort of opened this folder and I was like, I looked at him and was like, right, mate, now that no one's here, how, how bad is this shit going to be? And he was like, folded this thing out and it was like, look, I read down this page and I was my, my face dropped and it basically said that the army have, I mean I don't know if I should be saying this the <laughs> army we can always edit it yeah. the army, <laughs> we can check and edit it the anyway. army have been given permission to take over the freezers in supermarkets to use as makeshift body bags like mortuaries wow and I'm like wow. fuck this shit's serious you know yeah. for me like there's a, I'll, I'll, we won't like delve on it too much but for me I, I was one of the first to have the jabs because I was working subsequently through setting that one yeah, site yeah. up we then went to roll it out to the entire UK Yeah. so we set up like um, Toyota that was the largest one in the Midlands then we set up Chesterfield Football Club and then I was down in Brighton then I was up in Newcastle and it was like we did all of it right. um, and I, I was very fortunate I won a, the festival awards the sort of um, you know I won a really nice award for it and off the back of that, because we did so well, we did it for free. We did actually get a few contracts for private setups. And it was like, great, actually, we've got a bit of income. So, mm. you know, the whole COVID part of it wasn't nowhere near as bad for me as it was for someone else. And apart from um, a, a, one of our fantastic team com- getting COVID and passing away at one of our festivals. Oh, wow. You know, oh, I mean, very quickly, a Terence, Terence Harrison, um, we was having a bit of a laugh and a joke. It felt a bit rough. We were building back to festival at Catter's Farm just down the road. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, he started saying he'd got a cough. He'd got, um, you know, he wasn't, he was a bit chesty. He smoked a lot of fags. And, and he basically was like, right, I'm going to go to doctors. They took him to hospital. He'd got that sort of, you know, Martian oh, hat yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were, I was texting him going, mate, hurry up. Because, you know, he was our overnight security guard at the time. And we had to get this fence budget. Hurry up and stop fanning around. We need you back yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, it, and it didn't make it, you know. So um, we, we looked after his family, sorted out his, um, his funeral and stuff. But that was, you know, a very close experience that really went on. Uh, and a lot of people had the same yeah. things. Yeah, and I yeah. knew how bad that must have felt. So to say with the controversy that it wasn't a thing. I oh, think no, it was definitely a thing. A thing, but the origins of it, I don't think we will ever know. And the reason that it came about... Is definitely there's definitely more to that, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but once you actually realise how the system works, wait, wait, back to festival, you mentioned that. Wait, when did that start? So uh, once Sosh Insider Festival was, um, you know, up and running, team in place, jobs are good, and apart from a bit of rain, um, you know, that's the only thing you have to worry about really, and obviously no one turning up. Where <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I love um, nostalgia, you know, as a someone that grew up in the mid eighties. S Club Seven in the nineties, you know, S Club. Brad and Brad texted me the other day actually. The all of the stuff that I play as a DJ were nineties remixes yeah. of like the, you know for me the really? best, the right. best okay, era in the world. Cool. The 90s, yeah, man. baby. Nineties yeah. were particularly oh. good. I should have put curtains on today, like you know what I mean. Oh yeah. Out, you know I, mean? <laughs> I, I wasn't born. No, but that it's, it's a shame. I mean, yeah. you should come to the festival. It'd be like living in the nineties anyway. Well, we're doing the medical cover next year, aren't we? So. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. We've and got then, free tickets, haven't we? You guys definitely got free tickets. Yeah. And I'm more than you know. You're more than welcome. I can give you a story. All, not you don't have to pay anything if you want to bring um, the project and sort of have a, have a stall for a bit of recognition you're more than welcome to do that for all our shows I am an excellent dancer and I come lit I always have something bright and flashy on yeah, definitely neons. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm yeah, always on, on yeah, we'll it we'll take you 90s. up on that we'll, we'll be at the Cider and Sausage Festival no problem Tom you'll be working back to the 90s back to the 90s <laughs> yeah you, you can do both of them um, but yeah so um, then I was like it, it started at the Emporium so yeah. I started booking um, Living Joy and then I booked the Prodigy Tribute, some of the guys that I know from Jill Generation. To play at the to Emporium. To play at the Emporium. Right. And I was like, you know, normally we used to booking like Calvin Harris, Tiesto, Armand Van Buren. <laughs> I'm like, fuck that, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah, I met Danny Rampling in the toilet one day and he, he told me who he was, but I didn't know who he was. Hey, Danny, yeah. He looked very upset. Yeah, well, I mean, he's an old man now. Um, so, so basically, because I got the festival management degree, we got all the experience. I sort of knew some of the 90s. On the scene on the kind scene. of thing. Yeah. Um, and then I thought, right, let's give it a whirl. And then turns out to be the largest nostalgic festival in Britain. Massive. Haven't you moved venues now? We have, yeah. So 
We was at Cato's farm, wasn't big enough, so I moved to Catton Park, wasn't big enough, so now we've moved to um, Thorsby Hall in Nottingham. Wow. Isn't so. that, in one word, just a bit mental? Like, do you look at that and go, <laughs> like, I've done this, how have I done this? No, I don't. I never I never look back. I don't know if it's a plus or a, mega, a minus, but I never, ever look back and go, great. I always go, right, what's next? Yeah, yeah. Done yeah. that. Yeah, that. that's it. Right. Right. When you said that, that, that level of inspiration, I got a semi on. <laughs> <laughs> Can we edit that bit out? Yeah. <laughs> it's making me feel slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the driving force of just, right, that's wicked now. And, that's, and when I sort of realised there was that in bit, in, embedded into me, I was like, I wonder if I could be a helicopter pilot. Yeah, of course you can. Fuck it. Of course yeah. you can. But it's kind of recognising you can use your powers for good over my, evil, can't you? On that side. I'm so, very blessed I've ADHD. Yeah. And, it, and, peop- and, and switching that round to so where it previously as a, a, a youngster, everyone was saying you were naughty, you were bad, yeah. you were this, that and the yeah. other, without actually recognising, yeah. hang on a minute, let's yeah. use this hyper-focus, let's 100%. use this drive to actually help people become more successful in life. Yeah. And fun and recreation, which is big yeah. on the wheel of life. <laughs> fun and recreation. Yeah. You're too low on fun and recreation. Go out and have some fun. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? That is like, <laughs> yeah, that yeah, is yeah. what some people Absolutely. need. Yeah. I mean, d- dopamine deficit is probably still my number one uh, issue. But, but going back to what you were saying about the school thing, I think mm. when they said, you know, you're not normal, I mean, what is normal? And ultimately the teachers should have known better to program something in for my brain they're going you're not easy enough brain. Yeah. yeah they're just going you're not easy enough to keep in yeah, this you box. can't conform you don't to fit in this supposed box. to be from a 1930s designed school rhetoric yeah, so yeah let's not get into yeah, the education we'll leave thing because like box. i will slate it <laughs> yeah <laughs> we well, are not on the uh, pro side <laughs> so guys i think we should probably wrap this up because otherwise we could be here all week no 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 <laughs> um, uh, I, I was going to ask uh, I, I had like three more three little talking points I'll make sure they're Go little for it, mate. you took your love for food into making a restaurant I think that's just another example of, of running with the thought I love seeing other people happy that's what gives me a buzz helping people seeing them be successful I get more dopamine from that mm. some of my friends are help us high one of my friends from the same area as me um, created a um, a, a generator out of a battery and just sold his company. I'm not going to tell you how much, but it's a massive amount to Speedy High Limited. And that journey was insane to watch. Amazing. But also, so the food side of it, when I'm playing music to people and I'm seeing them happy and they're buzzing off what I've created, I love that. When I'm creating a festival and I'm seeing them loving what I've created, mm-hmm. I buzz off that. When yeah. I make a dish or food or curry or anything and they, they like it, I buzz off that. So it was a natural thing. And then on top of that, from the business side of it, after every festival, because we run all our own bars, we do all our own food stores, we run our own glamping sites. So having stock left over, 1,000 bottles of vodka, etc. right, instead of these sitting inside a warehouse for another year mm-hmm. and, and not going out of date, let's create something. And then Frank McCardle, the director of um, South Derbyshire Council, is a friend of mine. He rang me, I was on a train back from London, it was sunshine, it was hot. And he was like, James, we've got this um, old Victorian bottle kiln um, that used to be a car shop, you know, in Swad. Oh, the old uh, auto quit. Yeah, he was yeah. like, please come and buy it. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end we did. And, um, and then sort of the whole, it started out just as a pizza restaurant. And then it's kind of grew into this molecular mixology <laughs> you, you know. get like an award from TripAdvisor We've, we are well my team I just do strategic direction so I tell them I want to do this because I think it works I want to do that I want to start bottomless I want to start wood-fired Sunday lunches I want to start 24 mm-hmm. hour slow cooked meats I want to buy a smoker and they just kind of run with it and make it work but we were very lucky um, whilst I was in Ibiza my assistant um, let me know that there was something in my inbox so I looked and it was like this is bullshit, man. Yeah. Can you come to London to fetch this award? So we won, th- we came third out of 75,000 restaurants for wow. best kept secret sort of hidden gem. Wow. And through getting that award and because of our reviews, which you can't, you can't, you know, consistency is key. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. The, the, the other one was, we was in the top 1% of restaurants in the entire world. And like, so we go into London to get this sort of piece of glass and I was like, in the middle of SWAT, that's insane. <laughs> I, I hear that the biggest, complaint, the biggest complaint about Ice and Slice is that people can't get in because it's too full. 
Yeah, I mean... <laughs> no, 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 I'm not saying that. That was me, meant to be a joke. Yeah, me, no one laughed. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. Like, me, we were like, me, we, what do you yeah, think yeah, about yeah, that? Right, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a compliment. I was saying you're busy. I you was just about to say, Tom, isn't that... Isn't that... <laughs> That's what people say about yeah, yeah, it. No. <laughs> it backfired. You all thought I was insulting the guy. No, no, you're no, no, wrong. No, no. You're right. Like, mm, what are you going to do about that? When's yeah. the second restaurant opening? Yeah. Well, I don't, know, I don't know about the second one, but midweek in the daytime is the best time to book. It's rare you can get in at the weekend or on a mm. Thursday. But it's good, and we're, we're very grateful to most people in SWAD. There's a lot of people that said, no chance is this going to work. Really? So many people. People were walking past. They're my favourite comments. Like, you, what are you doing? Like, like you, yeah. You're trying to start a, a restaurant, you know, with decent food in SWAD. Yeah. I mean, saying that, there are Everybody loves good food. Come well, surely. you know, you can't argue with your taste buds. Nope. So consistency no, is the number one key with that. But that's your answer, Tom. Last, yeah. last question, then, last question. How does someone... Um, if they're starting to experience a deficit in their well-being, for you, what, what has worked for you? How do they start and improve that and, and get on top of it? Like I mentioned earlier, the, the first step is acknowledging, okay, I'm, my base level of happiness, there's something that you, most of the time you'll identify as something that's just not quite right. Yeah. And you can't put your finger on it. You don't know what it is, but you're going about your daily life with a below average base level of happiness. Once that you know that something's not quite right, or you know someone that's close to you sort of said if more than one occasion, are you okay? Are you okay? Um, then you can really look at and explore. Right, okay, there might be something that I can do to improve my general well-being, my general mental health. And then I think the next step, um, you probably got better links for this than me, but welldoing.org or um, the counselling directory, they're the two big sites that I sort of found that helped me. And then I searched for the things that I thought meant the most to me and then mm -hmm. categorizes your, your therapists into yeah. what they specialize in. Fire a few emails out, get on the phone, um, find a time that works for you. You know, if you don't feel comfortable with one, don't just leave it and sort of walk away, switch to another one. But if it's one thing that I'd like people to take away from this is having a therapist um, on a regular basis and committing to it and sticking to it I promise you 100% is the best thing I've ever done in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Wow. Awesome. Well, we'll leave it at that then. Well, thank yeah, you yeah, very much for a being point to finish uh, on, a definitely. guest on the podcast. And we've been rolling for about what? Three about weeks. <laughs> I know, yeah, I, I could keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It feels like forever. You guys are just so good to talk to, honestly. Well done. Um, <laughs> no, it's been awesome. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Michelle. Oh, thanks, well, thank, thank you. Thank you. Very much. Thank you.